This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Hello and welcome to Docera Digest. I'm Dr. Luke Moore. This is our fifth episode of our energy medicine series, and today we'll be covering interventions and therapies of energy medicine. I'm going to lead us off here and talk about the concept of balancing energy fields so that you can kind of begin to grasp and understand as we tie in everything we've been talking about in our energy medicine series, and we're all going to uh, bring it together and, and uh, kind of how we go about it in the office. So... And again, I'm going to talk about the concept of balancing energy fields here. And then in episode six, our final episode of the series, we're going to discuss how we go about doing that in the clinic. So when it comes to balancing energy fields in the human body, a really good way to think about it is likening it to tuning a piano. If you've ever seen this done, you someone takes a tuning fork and they strike it or activate it and hold it over a single chord of the piano. And once the piano chord starts to vibrate, then you know you've successfully tuned that piano chord to whatever frequency or note that is. Uh, if the chord does not vibrate, then you must tune the piano chord until it does. Uh, so kind of the same concept with a guitar as well. Uh, another way to think about this is you don't really have to be a music aficionado to know when something sounds off. Uh, when you're listening to music in a symphony or against someone playing the piano, if that person makes a mistake or hits a wrong chord or a wrong key, uh, even you being the listener don't know music that well, you'll still be able to pick up on that because it's not flowing with the progression of that song. Um, the same concept is true of the body and our energy field. And our job as clinicians is to go through and find this break or this dissonance and then find out what we need to do to tune or correct it. And tying this back uh, to our history section on energy medicine, this is really what most of human history has been concerned with from a health or a medical perspective, um, which is being concerned with energetic flow and making sure that it's harmonious with that individual or with the patient. Whether that's traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, uh, being concerned with the healthy and proper flow of what's called qi or the body's energetic force, which is uh, kind of a more modern understanding as electricity today or Ayurvedic medicine with the aligning of energy points called chakras, or whether it's more modern clinicians such as A.T. Still and D.D. Palmer being concerned with the musculoskeletal system and the alignment of that and the proper blood flow and nerve flow. All of these various fields were concerned with energy flow and making sure there wasn't a break in the system, so to speak, or anything inhibiting the proper flow of energy. And this is how we view ourselves as the culmination or continuation of this work in the modern era. And again, our job as well elaborate in the sixth and final installment of our energy series is one, identify the break. If there's a break in the system, energy system of the body and two, what's causing this break 
And then three, how to go about balancing that break out and giving the body what it needs to heal on its own. And with that, do you guys have anything else to add on that? Uh, back to the uh, comment on the uh, orchestra being in tune yeah. and people tell us out. If anybody's ever been to a middle school band concert, <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of get the point. You, you, you know, that's not quite right. You know, even though you never, may have never played the instrument, you can tell it just doesn't jive well. Also, Dr. Luke, I like the fact that you're talking about the break or the uh, interrupting component. Ooh, hey, here we go now. And hey, is that better? <laughs> when we talk about the break or the interrupting component, sometimes it's also a diversion, too. And so I just like that concept that, you know, when you're tuning something in, there's divergences or differences until you, boom, match it correctly. So it's cool. Exactly. Exactly. So with that. I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Caleb, and he's going to review a couple different therapies that also operate from an energetic basis. So, Dr. Caleb. All right. Thank you, Dr. Luke. So, kind of tying in with that piano aspect where we're tuning in, again, we can talk about the resonance or the resonant frequency of objects. We're going to get more into that in a little bit, but that's going to be part of the operational aspect of these. Um, <clears throat> there are many different frequency-based methods of therapy, but where and when did frequency-based care actually start? Now, you could say it began centuries ago with the type of chanting used by Tibetan monks, which focus on those long sustained notes, which have vibrational aspects to them, or also the, some of the singing bowls that they use, which have a similar effect. However, one of the pioneers in using specific measured frequencies was Royal Raymond R Rife. <clears throat> So, Rife was an American inventor in the early 19th century, with most of his work occurring during the 1920s and 1930s. He was perhaps most known for his microscopes, which were among the first to use high magnification and time-lapse observation. He also invented a beam ray device, which is now called Rife Machines, that would use radio waves at particular frequencies with the purpose of destroying microbial pathogens such as bacteria. So again, the principle behind this is kind of similar to tuning the piano or the opera singer that can break the glass when she's singing. So the glass has its own natural or resonant vibrational frequency. And if the opera singer can match that frequency, the glass will vibrate in resonance with that. And if it vibrates enough, the glass will break. So Rife theorized that if he could find the resonant frequency of a microbial pathogen, that the cell wall of the pathogen could break similar to the glass and the pathogen would die. Although there was some contention and disagreements on some of his claims, we are actually seeing more and more promising research is being continued in this area. And I believe that someday we will see frequency-based therapies like this in mainstream medicine. Although we don't actually use a Rife machine in the office, I wanted to briefly highlight his work as it laid the foundation for many other frequency-based therapies that are more commonly used today. So we use colored glasses and tuning forks in some of our diagnostic and therapeutic procedures, but I would say that the frequency-based therapy that we use most commonly is the laser therapy. So most people probably think of science fiction movies when we talk about lasers, but we're going to talk about what lasers really are. So in 1916, Albert Einstein conceived the theory of light amplification through stimulated emission of radiation, which is more commonly known by the acronym LASER. In 1967, Professor Andre Mester began using low-power lasers in medicine and is recognized by many as the grandfather of laser therapy. 
So we're going to talk a lot more about light energy or photonic energy in much greater detail in the next episode. But I do want to point out that like um, that light energy, like all forms of energy, have specific frequencies or wave patterns that they operate in. And laser devices produce electromagnetic radiation that is relatively uniform in wavelength, phase, and polarization. There are many different types or classes of lasers, with many being used in various technologies today. But as far as the medical aspects go, the FDA classifies medical lasers into three main categories, surgical lasers, non-surgical lasers, and low-level lasers. So depending on what type of laser is being used, a variety of uses could be cutting or removing tissue, relieving pain, reducing inflammation and edema, promoting wound or tissue healing, even in deeper tissues such as the nerves, and stimulating or enhancing cell and tissue function. Now, what we use is a low-level laser, which is also known as a cold laser therapy because it uh, doesn't actually produce heat in the body or doesn't generate that like uh, thermal effect. And it is a very non-invasive and minimal risk therapy. Low-level lasers use uh, things like ruby, argon, uh, helium, helium neon gas mixtures, and krypton gas mixtures as types uh, or as uh, producers of the lasers that affect biological systems, again, through non-thermal means. So while the benefits have been definitely observed in hundreds of studies, there is still some um, understanding that needs to be gained in the exact mechanisms as to what leads to those results. But we do know through photochemistry that the laser energy is transferred to cytochrome C oxidase, which is a respiratory energy transducing enzyme and involved in the electron transport chain in the mitochondria, which is the primary ATB, ATP production process, which, as Dr. Luke discussed in our first episode, is the main source of energy for our bodies. So again, I think uh, studies in the future will eventually show that the effects are resonance-based in nature. So, Dr. Ben, you have probably the most experience out of all of us using laser therapy in the office and treating people. Is there anything more you want to add on how it works, or are there any like most common or most interesting ways that you've used lasers that you want to share? Sure. There's, there's several different parameters of the lasers we talk about. So, you have blue, red, green, purple, uh, all those different kind of light frequencies that operate at different frequencies. And typically the lasers we use is the red lasers and we operate or they operate within the 630 to 640 nanometers. And the reason that frequency is critical is because as you just mentioned, it mm -hmm. turns on the mitochondria, it turns on the change. Mm -hmm. It starts producing at a level that the body can utilize that as repair energy, right? Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, I was paralyzed 25 years ago, a uh, almost a quadriplegic, a semi-quadriplegic. And I was that way for three years before we started using, they started using laser therapy on me. And within a matter of a couple of weeks, I, it, they rebuilt my nervous system and I got my mm -hmm. use back. And so for those of you that can see, you know, <laughs> not the audio version, but, uh, you know, I have been uh, able to, to function maybe normal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> More yeah. normal. Jury's Jury's still out. Yeah, no further studies. Still out. <laughs> that would indicate you were normal to begin with. Well, or abnormal to begin with, correct. But <laughs> so at any rate, the, the laser therapies is we have used it in so many things and there's a wide variety of things that we use the lasers on for people, patients, or clients. 
and I guess the key for me when I think about that is, is we're not necessarily treating a entity of disease or illness or sickness or symptomatology per se with laser therapy. What we're doing is we're turning on the body's natural ability at different frequencies of energy to either overt, subvert, reduce, diminish, demute, or turn on different capacities that we can have or arrive at certain levels of healing. So there's a lot, and I've been studying lasers since the 90s and using it for a very long time, and there's a lot of great benefit to it. So, Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So like we talked about, the goal of therapies such as the Rife machine and laser therapy, they use specific frequencies for targeting, inhibiting, or destroying microbial pathogens, or for stimulating specific functions in the body starting at the cellular level. However, we know this isn't the only focus of energy medicine, and as Dr. Luke was talking about earlier, a big part of energy-based medicine is focusing on balancing energy fields. So, uh, Dr. Ben, why don't you go ahead and tell us another method that helps with balancing that aspect within us? Sure. Thanks, Dr. Taylor. But let me add one more thing to that aspect. Everything vibrates at a known frequency. Mm -hmm. As we've talked about previously on on these episodes, even rocks vibrate at a set frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the resonant frequency. Right, the resonation. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about all this and the resonation aspect of this, that's what makes this really critical. And what Dr. Reif did and Dr. Hahnemann that I'm going to talk about here in a second is they start identifying these unique frequencies and how mm-hmm. they can operate that. So I'm going to talk today about Kristen Frederick Samuel Hahnemann. <laughs> and Dr. Kyson talked about him in an earlier session, so I won't go into a lot of detail about those factors that he talked about. But I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper in some of the things he came up with. Dr. Hahnemann was a German medical physician, best known for creating the alternative medicine that we call homeopathy. It was in the late 1700s that Dr. Hahnemann was dissatisfied with the state of medicine in his time. And he particularly objected to practices such as bloodletting and overdosing people with medications that they had at that time, trying to get people well. And what he was finding is it was actually making people sicker and a lot of people were dying. So he claimed that the medicine he had been taught to practice sometimes did the patient more harm than good. And so he became disillusioned after practicing about 10 years or so. And he stated that his sense of duty would not allow him to continue to treat the unknown pathology with uh, the, the current treatment methods that they were using. And he felt it would cause more harm to his patients or his brethren. And so he chose to get out of that field. What he did do then is that in around 1784, he gave up his practice and he went to focus on on studying chemistry and writing. Now, Dr. Hahnemann was a really educated man. He was proficient in many different languages. In addition to German, he also spoke and wrote English, French, Italian, Greek, Latin, Arabic, Syriac, Chaldaic, and Hebrew. Wow, that guy could understand languages. So during his research into medicines, he also then became a translator of medical manuals and began to investigate the different causes of medicine's alleged errors. While translating these medical journals and the treatment manuals, he noted that there were many known natural substances that had a much better chance of treating diseases than some of the medications and the procedures they were using at that time. So eventually he concluded that like a scorpion, which has fluids in its body, that contained both the ability to create a poison as well as the ability to have an antidote to that poison, There were also plants that had similar capabilities, all in the same species. And that was something that really intrigued him. He wanted to find that out. So he experimented with different fluids to find out which fluid could hold both the substance and the energy once a natural item was placed in it. He eventually proved that water could be the container for both the bad substance as well as the good substance that was placed inside it. So he then began to dilute the poisons 
he actually started out with drugs first with the medicines. He actually put them in there to see if he could get that down. And he found a level which those doses of those medicines had a better effect than the previous doses they were giving. And so he began to study that and study the symptoms that produced those substances or the substance that produced those symptoms, as well as the natural substances of herbs and flowers to lesser and lesser amounts till he found what dose had the greatest impact on the body. Eventually, he concluded that the more reduced or diluted the substance in the water was, the more energetic imprint into the water it made. That was kind of an odd thing for him. He continued until the original poison or herb was no longer even in the water, yet the water, yet the energy of that substance was still encapsulated into the water. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in the next session as well. He concluded that the energetic imprint was effective for the body to develop the ability to fight off the disease disorder process and even prevent it from doing harm, which is really kind of different, right? He found the more dilute the solution, the more powerful energy medicine impact on the patient, and that led him to suggest a new healing principle of that which can produce a set of symptoms in a healthy individual can treat a sick individual who is manifesting a similar set of symptoms. So he would take this this remedy or this concoction, and he'd give it to a healthy person and watch what it did to him on the poison, and then he'd go find the solution to it or the antidote to that and put that in there and help it wipe it out, and that's how he was originally started doing his research on this. He called this principle the like-cures-like concept, which has become known as the law of similars, and this became the basis for his new approach into medicine in 1796, which he called homeopathy. So homeopathy, homeo meaning similar to, pathy meanings to de- denoting to suffering, a disorder involving a particular organ or tissue or biochemical constituent of the body. Another thing I found interesting about it, he was also the one that came up with the term allopath or allopathic, right? The word allopath comes from the Greek word allos, meaning opposite, and pathos, meaning once again, to suffer or having all those particular problems. So today we refer to allopathic medicine as a system in which medical doctors treat symptoms or diseases using what? Drugs, radiation, and surgery. Right. Other names for allopathic medicine is also called conventional medicine, mainstream medicine, orthodox medicine, and even Western medicine. I just found that it was interesting. The guy who created, you know, this this solution process all identified the position that they call themselves today, the allopaths. So Dr. Hahnemann also realized that different individuals reacted differently to different doses of natural or different natural frequencies, and that they also responded in different time frames or time frequencies of relief of, of or correction. His theory was that this was an immune system variation. So he noted that most people responded very well within seven to 10 days of starting the, uh, the remedies. However, you know that some individuals reacted with an increase in symptoms during the first 24 to 48 hours prior to the beginning of relief. Right? And we call those different things now, crisis, health, health crisis, those concepts. Therefore, in his new homeopathic, homeop- I'll get that out, his new <laughs> homeopathic approach right, to medicine, He established three main principles or major laws of homeopathy. Number one, like cures like, which again is known as the law of similars. Number two, the greater the dilution of the substance, the greater its potency, which is now known as the law of infinitesimal doses. And then third, each illness is very specific to each individual person. So no two people have the same disease concept, right? Because they operate at different frequencies. So Dr. Hahnemann's homeopathic approach, many multiple millions, possibly over a billion sick people have been tremendously helped. So then what about the people who don't believe in homeopathy? I thought that was something to at least consider. For some, they don't believe it as a legit medical alternative. They've heard of the old dogma that it's not scientifically proven to work. Well, please don't tell the millions of people that it's worked with before because they will definitely argue with you as we know some of our patients' clients do. All right. 
So the current scientific evidence appears to be mixed on some of this. In some clinical trials, homeopathy appeared to be nothing more than about 10% better than a placebo. But if you stop and think about that, all placebos are based on a homeopathic <laughs> principle. Mm-hmm. So in essence, even a placebo is a homeopathic principle. And when they contrast that next to drugs or medicines or other alternatives, they go, well, why do some people not even take a drug and get well by taking a homeopathic placebo? So I, f- I found that interesting. All right. Even now, there are currently over 200 me- million people worldwide that use homeop- homeopathy on a regular basis as their preferred treatment approach for illness. And this includes the very young to the very old. So why do people prefer homeopathy? All right. Here are a few of the main reasons. Number one, there are no side effects. Homeopathic remedies are proved on human beings and not on monkeys, guinea pigs, or mice. <laughs> they are made from natural substances, so they're non-toxic and they're free from side effects. They are given to the patient in small doses, and doing so, a healing approach is gentle and gradual. Number two, the remedies are non-invasive. Homeopathic remedies do not involve surgical procedures or invasive techniques, so there's absolutely no chance of infection or further complication. The remedies are also aimed at eliminating the root cause of a disorder instead of just providing temporary relief from the symptoms. Number three, it's a very specific individualized form of treatment. A homeopathic practitioner evaluates the patient's overall health. And all those remedies are made for with each individual's specific conditions in mind. It also optimizes the immune system and is equally effective for physical and psychological disorders. Homeopathic remedies are also easy accessible. All right, these remedies are available without a prescription. They're made directly from the abundant natural resources. And also, they don't have an expiration date, generally speaking, and they can be stored for a long period of time if kept properly. And fifth, homeopathic remedies are not addictive. Once the illness issue has been resolved, you can easily stop taking it since they have no addictive property. So as we begin looking at energy medicine, it's been practiced throughout all the human history. We see that homeopathy has been standardized, professionalized, and even embraced by the masses. Now, to go into some further understanding of other aspects of energy medicine, let's turn this over to Dr. Craig so he can further explain how the essence, the aspect of essences then, is a major component of energy medicine. Dr. Craig. Thanks, Dr. Ben. Well, as he said, I'm going to talk about a specific aspect of homeopathic remedies called the essences, which is typically flower and gem essences, which is, as you were talking about that, the thing I thought about is, as far as what I've studied is essences are homeopathic, but they don't get as so far down into the dilution as it's kind of just, it it allows the um, medium of water to take on that essence and it's not necessarily further diluted. So it's a little bit different, but so... Um, and this aspect too is also more focused on psychological and spiritual health as opposed to some of the more physiologic concepts. Um, a couple of things that I, I studied into too is this isn't, as you mentioned, is not a new concept. It's an ancient concept. It goes back as far as even the ancient Egyptians uh, dealt with some of these issues. It's used by many indigenous cultures around the world. And it was really popular around the Middle Ages. And, and one of the main guys it was really popular with is a Swiss physician called Paracelsus, which interestingly, he was one of the first um, uh, scientists to introduce chemistry into medicine, which I thought was kind of interesting. So over time, it kind of fell out of mainstream use in, in, or fell out of use in mainstream medicine. And so some of the knowledge was actually lost, they believe. Um, but about 80 years ago, Dr. Edward Bach rediscovered the concept of essences. His idea was one of simplicity. He, like many others, believed that health was a result of emotional, spiritual, and mental harmony. So he developed uh, 
a system of 38 plants and bushes from around England. Interestingly, compared to what we have now, it seems like a small amount because we have hundreds and hundreds of flower essences and gem essences in our office. You know, today there are uh, many different companies from many different places around the world. So I just want to touch on a couple of different things. One I thought was interesting is how they're made. They, especially the flowers, are captured at the um, peak of their blossoming cycle. They're put in the medium of pure water and allowed to potentize into the sun and then are preserved in a medium of an alcohol base. So as I mentioned, there's two types. And what I want to talk about from this point on is actually kind of my own general observations. Me being the uh, mental emotional guy in the office, I tend to use these essences a lot. And so I just kind of want to share some of my general observations that I've seen. So I have found, interestingly, I think flowers tend to relate more to emotions. Gems relate tend to relate more towards the uh, mental realm. And interestingly, the ones we got from Australia, I find tend to relate more towards the spiritual realm. So I want to read a couple things as I go through this. Oh, the one other thing I found too is I find Bach tends to relate more towards personalities. He kind of has this, if you look at his stuff, it's a lot of personality based that there's this positive negative aspect of if you have this particular personality. So the other thing that I have found really interesting is different places have different energies. We have essences from Alaska. We have essences from Hawaii. We have essences from Australia. And we're even kind of starting to develop an essence from South America or South Africa. So if you think about Alaska, Alaska tends to be this masculine, rugged. In fact, one of the things it talks about in these handbooks is it's it has a lot of places that are still untouched. I like to jokingly say Alaska is where the men are men and so are half of the women. <laughs> but Whoa. but I find the Alaskan essences tend to, and this is just a general observation. It doesn't fit 100%, but it tends to hit that masculine energy, that aggressive, that get things done type of energy. Whereas the Hawaiian essences, Hawaii is more of a laid back, chill out. It has kind of that feminine nurturing energy, that healthy play in, live in the sun type of thing. And then, as I said, the Australian energy I find tends to hit spiritually. So I want to read a couple of things that I think kind of fit into this. So when it talked about flowers, it was interesting. It said flower essences, uh, flowers are the crowning achievement of the plant kingdom. Divine expressions of the creativity made manifest through heavenly scents and stunning displays of color. This divine creativity is also present on a subtle vibrational level where each flower embodies a life affirming pattern of conscious energy. Flower essences are the transference of these positive patterns of energy into a liquid medium. I thought that was kind of interesting. And it kind of fits that concept of, even think about when we talk about smell the roses, you get this kind of energy uh, transference. And then it talked about gems. The gift of the mineral kingdoms are structure and stability. Each mineral is a stable structure that helps us anchor the energies of consciousness into physical forms. So if you think about our mental aspect tends to kind of be the framework that we put the emotions within. I thought that kind of fits and makes sense as to why, why the, I'm finding some of the things I find. And then the last thing I found relates to the Australian that I thought was really interesting. Australian plants have a real beauty and strength. There is something quite remarkable about them. Apart from the fact that Australia has the highest number of flowering plants, which I did not realize, they are also the oldest in the world. Metaphysically, Australia has always had a very wise old energy 
And at the moment, there is a tremendous new vitality in this country. So I think that kind of fits the observations I've kind of seen. So, and we've talked about flowers and you know the smell as we, right. as we just say the word essence of smell. Right. How different smells of flowers. Some are putrefied to some mm-hmm. people, and some are you know good smelling to other people. Right. So when we look at that, and I like what Dr. Craigoyer brings up. It's like, well, how does that make you feel? You smell that. Right. What does it do? Does it bring you alive? Does it bring you down? Does it you know calm you? Does it soothe you? Does it stimulate you? Right. And we've all experienced that. And we've all gone through that and go, uh, you know, whether it's roses, whether white, red, pink, yellow. I mean, they have different fragrances or resonations of essences. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. I also find it interesting how, you know, because some of it we use as herbal, you actually get the physiologic effect. But this is more just the essence of the flower that we're using to affect the mental, emotional. And we've talked about, too, is I think. The more you get into the mental and even emotional and spiritual realm, you get more and more into an energy realm as opposed to more of a matter realm. So I think that's let's talk real quick about the frequencies of flowers here for a second. So think about a rose, right? And we can, and probably most people listening or watching have seen a rose bud that's been cut. Now, once that's cut from the stem, is it alive or dead? Yes, yeah. <laughs> right? It no longer is connected to its life source, but it still has life within it. So you can take that bud and put it in water, right? And what will that bud do? It will continue to develop and open up and give another essence that inside the bud was not present. Right. All because of water and light, and we'll talk about those two as well. But if you think about that essence is still in that plant, even though it's been detached from its living source. Right. And so that frequency carries on, and that's part of what essences are. You have a uh, interesting story related to flower, which I'll kind of turn this over to you because you're going to kind of tie all this energy medicine concepts together. So I'll let you take over, Dr. Kaysen. Well, thank you, Dr. Craig. Um, some things about what you were just talking about that I find interesting is about 25 years ago, I went on my honeymoon to Alaska. And I remember not knowing what I know now, but just being dumbfounded, just struck in awe of how vibrant and vivid the colors were there. And I just said, I, my thought process, well, it may be the way the sun's hitting the earth, a different atmosphere there, but it was a completely different thing because here in Wichita, everything turns brown in the summer, <laughs> you know, so beautiful shades of browns and taupes we have here, but you know, it was just absolutely amazing. We were there during the summer solstice, you know, so we really never saw darkness at all, but the colors were absolutely just amazing. I loved it. There's so many amazing things about so many of the different plants there and how they function, how they use those things in the, in the, um, medicines and the essences. So, uh, yeah. Um, one thing that I was thinking about while you're talking about that was I remember doing research on a bunch of other things in the past. And one thing I remember hearing a lot about was the gardens at all these different sanitariums, all these different hospitals, stuff. The gardens are so important to get people out in the sun and getting them out in the gardens with all these flowers and all these different things there, because that's such a huge healing aspect. And if you think about that, when you drive down the street and you're looking for houses to buy, landscaping is so important. Well, what flowers out front? How do they look? How does it make it feel? Why do I like that? Why am I attracted to that? What does that do in my environment or even in my energetic field, you know, at, at my home or at other businesses? When you go to businesses, businesses spend a lot of money on landscaping now for a reason, because it's attractive as part of the marketing or advertising of who you are. And that depends on how you set it up. And a lot of these people that do this type of landscaping, um, architecture, things like this. These are things they consider as they look through and put these things together and how it reflects your company or your home or your personality or what you like. So it's always amazing to me. Um, we did have an interesting story. We had a gal that was in the office and 
she was dealing with some parasites in the brain and some neurology, and she had forgotten who she was. And being a 20-year-old young lady, she was reverting back to an eight or nine-year-old who was just very shy and very meek, which is completely in contrast to her normal vivacious personality. I think vivacious is a good word for her personality, don't you guys? Yeah. And so uh, and she, was, and she seemed lost. She didn't know, recognize anybody. She didn't remember who her family members were. And one of the things that we, we, we figured out on her was that she needed the essence of a white rose. And so I'd gone to the store and I'd gotten a white rose for her. And, and uh, she was doing the laser treatment, which we talked about on her brain there. And I gave her the rose. and I just smiled. I said, here you can have it. I just didn't want to throw away and waste it. She smiled at me and she sniffed it real big. And then her service dog started barking within 30 seconds. And all of a sudden she was back 100%. And it was one of the coolest freakiest things i think most of us have ever witnessed i mean i don't think there's a dry eye in the in the clinic that day i mean we were just all just amazed and and uh i mean we do this for a living i mean this is stuff that we should be going well yeah of course you know that's that's what we do <laughs> well we expect it <laughs> you know? sure, yeah, yeah. i mean of course and we're like oh my gosh that was amazing i mean it was just it was one of those things that really tugged at the heartstrings when you see how much that affected her and her, her and her mom. You know, they spent some time alone together because she was crying. She was because she didn't realize how she even got to her clinic. She knew all of this. She'd been there before, but she was just in chaos. And I can't imagine what that would feel like to all of a sudden come back after eight or nine days and you're in a completely different space. You don't remember anything and you're not sure what's going on. I mean, that would be scary and just, uh, yeah. So the white rose was amazing for her and what it did. It was absolutely cool. So, but again, and it was unique to her. Yeah. That one that her, you yeah. tested out and found it. So it wasn't a red rose. It was nope. specifically a white rose right. that she tested to. And we've had other ones where we've used uh, different types of roses from a dusty red, all these, I don't know all the classifications, the names of all the different types of roses, but we've had the frequency of about 10 or 12 different roses that we have. And different people need different types, different colors. And all those things are important as far as what they need to help them. And again, we're still trying to figure out the research on some of the stuff as we're going through and learning this. So it's it's pretty cool to be able to go through there and figure all that out and how that's going to help us get more patients better. So um, I kind of want to close this uh, episode up here and kind of talk about um, a little bit of our perspective, um, why we're doing this, why we're talking about energy medicine. Uh, I believe that we are all struggling or striving to uh, overcome and heal from either disease or trauma, which diseases really are trauma in the body and that we experience. And this leads us to all seek out uh, ways for relief of symptoms. Sometimes it's, I need an anti-inflammatory. Give me my turmeric, you know, <laughs> give me some ibuprofen, uh, going to the doctor, taking some sort of prescription drug, which has kind of led to this whole opioid, opioid? Opio yeah, opioid. opioid epidemic that we're dealing with now that is really devastating a lot of people's lives because they're addicted to it. They need that. That's the only way they feel they can survive now. And they're not truly dealing with the underlying cause. And so other people go try to find other ways to try to deal with that or, or fix these different things here. So um, that's kind of where I found myself. You know, I didn't really have any formal education at this point. Something wasn't right. I didn't feel right. I struggled in things where I saw my peers were surpassing me or things just came so much easier to them in school. And this happened in mid elementary school. Um, sports, all of a sudden I, I was struggling. I used to be one of the fastest kids in my class. We used to race everywhere, run everywhere. All of a sudden I get winded. I couldn't function. I struggled in any sports. I just, I, I suffered through it and I didn't even enjoy it and, and quit eventually because it was, it was too hard. 
you know? I mean, I couldn't compete. I couldn't, it, w- it wasn't like I was finding any victory in it. Um, and then I began to falsely assume that this is just the way I'm going to be. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to suffer. This is going to be my life. But there's one pervasive thought that always stuck in the back of my mind. I wasn't always this way. What happened? What do I need to do to address that? You know, and that was something that really drove me to figure out what caused this decline in my life and, and how I was going to be able to try to fix that. So one of the things that I, I always found that helped me when I was younger, that made me feel better, feel more alive was chiropractic care. And every time I get adjustment, I would feel so much better for uh, hours or days, and then it would start to decline again. And so there was an underlying cause or something that was kept driving me back away from where I was feeling good, which is part of the reason why I was always attracted to chiropractic because, wow, this, this made a difference. It didn't fix it, but it was part of it. So there was something that it was doing for me, and I didn't even understand the full aspects. And even after becoming a chiropractor, it took me a while to really gain an understanding. I, I understood the concept, but when we are adjusting people or we are realigning the body, whether it's putting bones in place or allowing the nerves to flow or even just getting the fascia to line out, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next episode about fascia and, and collagen and how that affects the communication in certain tissue areas and, and how these things uh, help us heal. So that was a big thing for me. So I was like, well, I'm always attracted to this type of field. I need to go figure out what I need to do with that. So I spent most of my younger life going to different doctors, doing different things, trying to figure things out. Um, even into my twenties and thirties going, what's going on here? And I've been through the medical gambit and nobody really had any answers. Well, try this drug for uh, ADHD, do this for this, do this for that. And outside of the cut, burn and poison approach, which I don't mean to offend anybody, but right. th- that's kind of the, the three aspects of it. Or it's not bad enough yet. Let's wait till it gets bad enough to do something. Unfortunately, that's kind of modern medicine. And so that didn't quite work for me. So I was trying to figure out how do I get better. And so as I got into practice, I started learning different areas and started focusing on different things. I kept bringing in different things. And, and I'm one who's kind of a, I don't want to say a jack of all trades, but my attention or my interest in many different aspects of healthcare came into play from physical medicine, doing chiropractic care, doing sports medicine, doing all these different things here, working as an internist, getting into genetics. I mean, I have a whole different wide background of things, which gave me a large stage to operate from. And it really allowed me to kind of start seeing things and putting things together that most people don't look at because they have a very narrow field of approach. And so I've always tried to have a very wide view. So when my patients come in, I can look at it from a very wide space and say, okay, what all do they fall under here? They're coming in with a gut issue. Do they need an adjustment? Do they need soft tissue work because their lower back muscles are tight and they're causing issues there? Do we need to get enzymes? Do we need to treat something that's going on in the gut? There's so many different aspects that we have to go through and look at. So I try to look at it from so many different ways to be able to figure out, well, what are the things that we need to address now and how do we put this in the right order to go address that? So I, I go back to this uh, thought, you know, that my dad was a mechanic. And he was amazing at, at what he did. And he had this huge, giant toolbox with all these different drawers, you know, and most of us know screwdrivers and wrenches and ratchets, things like that. But there are drawers you'd open up and there's gizmos and gadgets galore. Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, what is this one, you know, and, and what does this do? And all these other things, my dad's trying to explain these things to me. And, and it was just these crazy things. And he'd have wrenches that were like two feet long because he worked on semi trucks and big trucks and stuff. And so... I was always amazed at that. You open up one drawer and you have all the screwdrivers and there's different types, different heads, different things I've never seen. And it was like, well, most people in our life, we have 
screwdrivers and things for home. You know, we have our wrenches and ratchets and our drill drivers and all these things now, but we don't need a lot of variation in that because the things we're working on at home are very simple. And sometimes that's what the approach is. But if you only have those tools you're, and you run into a problem where you don't have the right tool, what are you going to do? So when I was asking my dad, I said, so why do you have so many different types? He goes, well, there's a right tool for the right job. Which is funny because I often saw him using the wrong tool for the right job <laughs> because either he didn't have the, the right tool for it or it didn't exist yet. And that's how some of these different tools were created because people said, hey, there needs to be something different for this or the manufacturing process needed something different to be able to work on a vehicle. So I kind of looked at that and I think about even today, I have a very large toolbox. I didn't used to. When I first got to school, I had a little handheld toolbox. Here's my, here's my tools. And as I add more to it, the bigger and bigger toolbox I needed. And that's why we had the clinic we do today with all the tools and all these different things here. So I keep adding drawers full of different tools. So whether it's homeopathy, whether it's essences, whether it's energetic medicines, whether it's chiropractic care, all these different things are all different drawers we have in the in our toolbox. And like any good mechanic, I'm always looking for a bigger toolbox and more tools. <laughs> so, you know, we jokingly say uh, when people call the office, you know, people we know our family uh they say welcome to frank's body shop <laughs> so that, that's kind of what we, we joke about but we really want to have the right tool for the right job and we can i tell you you can take a screw and you can pound it through a piece of wood with the hammer but it's probably not the best way to do it you know having a drill driver or a screwdriver is going to definitely help you put that screw in the way it's designed to be used so we're trying to be very specific in our approach so when you come in we want to look at how do we run diagnostics on you? How do we go through and figure out what's wrong? So whether it's blood work, whether it's stool, whether whatever laboratory testing we have, whether it's adjunctive biological or energy testing things that we use in our office to try to get all the answers. Dr. Bowers is famous for saying, I'm like a two-year-old. Oh, let me finish it. Yeah. I always ask why, 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 why? So when you get to the point where you can't ask any more whys, you've kind of come to the root of the problem. Well, I have this problem, but why? Well, because of this, but why? Well, because of this. And you keep going down, you get to the root of the problem. That's what you're trying to do. So as doctors, the more questions that you can get answered, the more information you have, the more accurate we can be. And that is why we bring energy medicine into the clinic, because it helps us find things, not just in a much more quicker and um, advanced way than necessarily all the laboratory testing do. Because the laboratory testing look at specific areas of the body and they can't give you a holistic picture of things that don't show up in like blood work. Blood is a closed system. I mean, if it wasn't, we'd, we'd help you leaking out everywhere. So, you know, and when you do start leaking out, that's kind of the end of it. So, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to come through and figure out what is it that's wrong? How do I get more questions answered? How do I get more information before I can come through and be more specific, more precise in my approach? to put things in the priority order. Well, what do we need to address first? How do we do this? And this is where we bring energy medicine in to help us. So we've all been highly educated in all the things that we do. And we've all been through internist courses, uh, functional medicine, genetics. We've all done this stuff. So we have a huge amount of knowledge, but what do you do with it? I mean, I remember getting out of school going, wow, I learned all this stuff. Okay. Now what do I do? You know, I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. And having energy medicine, be able to use this to, for some of our testing purposes, gives us more wisdom and more understanding and more knowledge and to find answers to things that we don't quite understand. I, I jokingly say this all the time that I love it when I'm wrong. I have patients come in and go, oh, you know, conventional knowledge, wisdom, my education says you need this for this, this, and this. And then I go to test it and it doesn't work. And they need something that's completely off my radar. 
I'm going, how in the world does that work? I have to go do research and go, oh, okay, well, there's a study for this or this works in this area here. Okay, that makes sense. You know, which helps me learn at a much higher rate of figuring out there are other answers than our traditional answers that we know of or whether a study has been done or not to prove it. So you can go through and get results. And so it's just, I love the fact that I can go through and get questions answered. I can get better results faster. So we're always striving to be bigger, better, faster, stronger, right? And so we continue to look for new things because I have new drawers in my toolbox I need filled. And I try to find more specific tools, get better results for patients and kind of keep working through that. So, and you don't know what tools you need until somebody comes in and you don't have the right tool. And that's frustrating. And that drives me and it pushes me to go try to figure out some of these other things that we need. So, um, that being said, the other side of what we go through in our struggles and, and what we do in life, I would not be able to do what I do today without going through the struggles I did and the hardships I went through. I know all of us go through them. Being a doctor in practice, trying to build your practice, do that. there's so many struggles we go through, all the doubts you have. The burnout rate of people working with chronic illnesses is very high. Working with Lyme disease, parasites, because the patients are suffering so much and doctors will take that on. And I'm guilty of it too. I'm sure we all are. We all feel that, especially if you're a caring, compassionate person, you take that energy or that struggle on you. And there's days that I've taken those home and it's oppressed me or depressed me and things, and I have to work through it. So I like to celebrate the little victories. I mean, there may be the bleakest of days and you get that glimmer of hope or that light. And boy, I'll tell you what, I'll get up and do a happy dance and it's goofy looking. I'll pump my fist in the air, you know, and sometimes patients see it and I have to apologize because, you know, it's not glorious. But, you know, those are the things that as doctors, we we latch onto because, yes, that means that we've got something there and we really dig in. And those are the things that we need to keep going and to keep helping people. And here's the thing I'm probably the most guilty of is hundreds of victories. We've gotten so many amazing stories and things that we've got over patients. And I never sit at home and think about those. It's always the ones that we struggle with. Those are the ones that we always take home because how do we fix that person? How would it help that person? It's because of the struggles that I went through that my passion for healing people was born. And that's really where coming through and figuring out and using energy medicine, not just to change my life, my family's life, uh, my fellow doctors here. It's it's amazing how we can come through and just really care on people, love on them, and be able to really try to support them. I think that's another big part of what we do in our clinic is not just us, by any means. Our staff is amazing. They care so much about our, our patients, and they love on them, and they just they, they, they want to be such a part of their lives and stuff. And it's it's amazing how many people come to go, I feel like family here. I go, well, welcome home, yeah. you know. So that is why we use energy medicine and we go through and try to find these different frequencies, whether it's in a homeopathic, whether it's laser, whether it's um, essences, these different things that we're trying to come in. And we even go through and try to figure out other things that we don't have. We'll go through and try to find other different frequencies and things like that and try to continue to push the boundaries here. Because if you get stuck in the sandbox of here's all we have are these studies, so this is all you can do. Healthcare is limited, is rate limited basically on the fact that unless a study's done that proves it or does anything like this, then the patient's going to suffer for a while. Dr. Kais, let me add something to that. My father, my dad taught me, he said, the questions you ask depend, I mean, yeah, the questions you ask determine the answers you get. Well, what is a study? What's a research? It's questions they ask. So it's almost as if some people in healthcare are saying, don't ask any more questions. And so they don't want to accept anything that's being outside that box that you're talking about, that sandbox. 
So the more that we look outside that box and we ask questions, we've all had conversations with people that we ask them a question and they give us an odd answer. And we're like, did they not understand the question? <laughs> or, you know, or, or what's the problem? And so we redesigned the question till what? We get communication. Well, that's what we're doing in our office. We're asking the body questions. We're asking specific things, these questions, and we're listening. What's he saying? Let your body talk. You know, we're listening to let that body talk. So I, I think that's what's unique about us is that we're not hung up on just having to back this up with whatever approved scientific research results are. We celebrate results, good or bad, good or bad. Right. And so in that essence, the questions we keep asking is what I love about all you docs. It's like, well, let's keep digging. Let's keep digging. Let's keep digging until we can't dig anymore. anymore so there's, there's so many different things that we find. There's things that we do today that a couple of years ago we didn't even dream of. We didn't know it was possible. And, and so I think a lot of that is intuitions we talked about in an early episode. I think a lot of this is, is divine. God's revealing stuff to us as we need to go through and figure some of these things out. But it is a, it's, it's the struggle that we've all embraced as the calling on all of our lives to do this and to change, change the people out there and try to affect families as we were talking about, you know, entire families, you know, it's amazing how we get one member of the family to come see us. And next thing you know, we go see my mom, my dad, my kids, my cousin, you know, all this. And I have people come and go, well, we were discussing you at a family reunion the other day, you know, 15 or 20 of us. And we had all these questions. Can we ask questions? I said, well, sure. And here's the questions they came up with. And we answered the questions, but it's fun being the ones that people call first. Mm-hmm. Something happened to my kid. What is it? What do I need to do? And that's a really um, blessing and curse in some ways. So <laughs> I, I heard an interesting concept a, a few years back that every blessing is a curse and every curse is a blessing. So it's it depends on your perspective on it. And that kind of goes back to we celebrate all the things we can. We try to have the right perspective on everything. We we look. We are explorers here in a lot of ways and what mm-hmm. we're exploring and trying to find things. And we're conquerors in a lot of ways because we have been conquering a lot of different things and issues people have. Can we fix everything? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> no. So for the legal requirements out there, we are not allowed to treat cancer. We do not treat cancer. We do not diagnose cancer. So just putting that out there. <laughs> we treat the body that has the condition. There you go. The goal is to bring balance and harmony, to get that middle school band to play at their perfect frequency at the right time, on key, on beat, and so everything sounds the way it's supposed to. And when that's out of balance, life's hard. And so we're constantly trying to find balance. And if you haven't seen us in a while, we have a big toolbox. We've added more things to it. So this is something that we continue to try to strive and go through and and fix things. So. And we all grow as doctors through this. So it's, I, I'm excited to see where we're going to be in five, 10 years from now. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.